You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello and welcome to Matt Meets Music Industry. Today I am super stoked to be here with my friend from the internet. Yes. Um, Dan Sugarman of Ice Nine Kills. How are you, Dan? Chilling, Matt. Thanks for having me on, dude. Super, super stoked to be part of this. 100%. No, it's good to like finally connect because I feel like we've been texting for a couple months. <laughs> at least, dude. I think, I think this is the 100th attempt at this and I think we nailed it. We yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. So the point being, you've been really busy lately with a bunch of different things. I don't know how much we can talk about. What has been occupying your time lately that we can kind of get into? Um, that's a really good way to put this without me having to say, can't talk about that. Um, the things that I've been super, 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 super busy and focused on, um, as everyone probably knows, uh, Ice Nine Kills has been in the process of working on a new record and that's been a very big focus for us. Um, and then in the world of what I'm doing, uh, keeping like my, my solo music stuff kind of happening. I'm, I've been working on some new tracks. Uh, I've got one actually that I'm hopping on a call later today with my mix engineer to sort of wrap up some of the uh, volume automation on that. He's freaking, his name's Asher Ali. He's an absolute guru of this shit and i've never once had a note about like frequencies or anything like that it's always just like volume which is the first time i've ever had like an engineer who just nails exactly what i'm going for like that so side note if anyone needs anyone who's doing a mix shit up astro alley um but yeah so i've been doing that stuff i've been focused super heavily on my like private lesson guitar lesson stuff that i've been doing which ironically through the pandemic just went through the roof i did not expect that but Everyone was at home. Everyone probably saw the guitar that's been sitting in their closet for years and decided finally, like, this is the year to do it. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time with private students, um, as well as developing something that I'm going to do my best to explain in a way where it's ambiguous, but also exciting. Um, I'm working on a company with some really awesome guys in the industry, as well as some other people that I've just picked up along the way. Uh, and it's we're trying to solve some of the greater problems that I see with just like online lessons in general, not specific to guitar players, not even specific to music. Um, so we're trying to solve some of these like greater holes that I've been for like over a decade been complaining about. Um, so we're putting together a really awesome way to do that. And then I'm also hosting what I'm calling Sugarman's Lesson Lounge. This is my online like free online guitar lesson community type thing. And through that, it's basically acting as this like giant support system for people of all different likes and ages and like interests come through come learn guitar stuff from me chat about guitar and gear and theory and stuff we've got like an in-house luthier to help you like help get your guitar fixed we've got things that i call mind frame prompts so once a week i'll ask like a really heady uh question like the one i just asked this week is what is your super strength as a guitar player and if someone said you needed to save a life with this is that still the thing you would choose because it's like, if you don't put this really fucked up spin on it, you're going to say, I'm so sick at this. But then if you start thinking like, but if my buddy is going to lose his life, if I don't pull it off, then maybe it's not my super strength. So it's like getting people to get really, really heady. And it's a journal prompt. It really is. So I have just yeah. like hundreds of responses. Uh, we've got a bunch of things like that. I've got another section called cracked open. That's similar to that. And it's more like 
what's the biggest fear you've had in your life that you've overcome? So it's not specific to guitar, but it's just so the community opens up and can like get to know each other, support each other through shit. Um, discounts, live lessons, a bunch of shit's going on in there. And all of that is acting as an entry point for this other company that we're working on. And it's sort of like the beta test. And I guess it's fair to say that like right now is in the last few weeks of this beta test before we launch the next phase. So it's pretty actually timely to talk about this today. If that was ambiguous enough, I don't know. (laughs) I think that was ambiguous enough. That's pretty cool. I love, that's something I really enjoy about you is I feel like you really make an effort to give back to the community no matter what. And I think that a lot of guys in your position are sort of like, I'm in a big band now, fuck it. That's, you know, what keeps you, what keeps you giving back? Dude, it's recognizing that I was that, I am that kid. It's not, I was that kid. I am that kid. I'm still that kid who like the, the, the most like potent nutrients and like sustenance that I could get is from like my heroes, the people who do what I want to do letting me know that I could do it, telling me that like they were like me as well, telling me that like I, if I put my mind to something can make something unique and and special happen. And then the second that I started to see that it could based on the heroes that I looked up to, um, I recognized that it's the game of service, dude. It's not a game yeah. of, it's it, it, like we're, we're much closer to like waiters and like may, maybe closer to like owning a restaurant, but it's you're still in the service business, right? Um, but it's much closer to that than it is like try to be famous and celebrity and bullshit. Cause if you just act like that without the team behind you, who's doing all the other work that allows that to happen, then it's not going to happen. Right. And I saw this a long fucking time ago, dude, like I probably will get this tattooed on my fucking body at some point in my life. We'll probably release shirts that say this at some point in my life, but I've been living this remove the barricade type existence for over a fucking decade. I'm the first person off stage to go like walk in the crowd and talk with people. I'm like the first person to like be off the bus and like mingle with people. Um, and that's not to say no one else in the band doesn't cause we all love that. It's, but it's like my driving force. You know what I mean? Like I wake up cause I want to do that shit. And it's in letting people know that like, I've gone through some fucked up shit, man. And we could, we could get into that stuff if you want, but it's really in letting people know that through the darkest shit in your life, you could transmute that into gold. You know, you could transmute it into opportunity and make something special out of it and connect more people like yourself who need to hear that message and can relay that to others who need to hear it. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate that mindset greatly because I think it's just so easy to fall out of that. It is. It is, man. It's so easy to fall victim to like playing the game, like the bigger you might be getting, you're also being perceived as bigger and therefore you're going to perceive yourself as bigger, which is going to pull you away from who you really are. And that's when you start playing the game in like what I perceive as like a not good feeling way, you know, when you're like, I don't, I don't know. There's like, there's millions of artists out there. Like, you know, uh, Maynard from tool, for instance, created a career on ambiguity and then being just this like enigma on stage and having just like, wouldn't do interviews forever. Like, do you remember all this stuff? And just like the questions yeah. you have about him. Like, I feel like the guy from Ghost, Tobias from Ghost is like the modern day version of that. And I don't think that's something that is super, super achievable anymore, unless you're kind of like grandfathered into that shit. Yeah, it's unless you're Ghost. Unless you're Ghost. Unless you're Ghost. Which right. is always like, the like, oh, like if you do it right, 
you know, or I feel like you see like black metal bands who like really do it well. But I agree that broadly speaking, you have to be grandfathered in. You have to be part of a. Yeah. And, and these, these black metal bands, even more specifically like that, that shit is just like tradition. That's the culture of the way that's put out. That's the way it is supposed to look, the way it's marketed. So makes sense that that's going to just continue to fall down uh, that, that, or go down that path of following that tradition. But like, for me, I'm, uh, I, did you ever see game of Thrones? Do you ever watch yeah, that shit? Yeah. Until it all, I'm, I'm, I'm here to break the fucking wheel, man. That's, that's my goal. I'm trying to break the wheel. Like it, it's, it always is going over and always like people trying to fuck each other over and blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to break the wheel and be like, it doesn't need to be like this. And I'm not saying I'm in any position to do that for like the globe, but that's how I want to operate. And that's how I want my career to feel for the people connected to my career. That's how I want to feel inside of my career. Yeah. Um, and like, like Jeff Bezos said, dude, the shit is like, on the back of my eyelids day in and day out, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Fucking insane to me. Like that is never, ever what I heard as a brand Um, for years in my life. I was confusing product for brand. Right. So like I'm, I'm I'm trying to through, through whatever forms of perception that we have the ability to play with here, uh, perception is reality and the way that people perceive you determines your outward reality. And you can play with your inward personal reality or personality, right? You can play with that to a certain degree and manifest shit and blah, blah, blah. But it's the stuff outside of you. It's the way that the masses perceive you that results in where you can go. So like by simply understanding how you could play along with that game and not an effect to like manipulate anything, but like being seen in the way you want to be seen is a big part of it. And then also the way that I make sure it's in line with my like morals is the way I want to be seen as who I am. It's not some made up version of myself. So I think yeah, that's like at the end of the day, the fact that like all of my things are in line with each other uh, make, make me really interested in being accessible and then also accessible because it's, it's who I am. You know what I mean? Like if someone likes my dick, uh, then I believe that there's like, an energetic reason why they were interested in my shit. And therefore there's probably a connection that we're supposed to have. Maybe I have something to learn from them. Maybe there's an experience we're supposed to have together. Maybe it's just that one-off conversation we have, but like, there's a reason why that connection's made. And I always want to see that shit through. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's accurate. Um, and I just love, I love that willingness to be open. You know, were there any particular people who inspired you towards that? Or was it just sort of like, like people in music who inspired you towards that? Or was it more just general entrepreneurs? It was more general entrepreneurs. Like, um, you know, many, many years ago, I'd probably say like fucking four years ago, five years ago at this point, like stumbling on like Gary Vee and his whole his whole like rant about like, no one gives a shit about where you land. Like they want to see the journey. They want to be a part of the process and the progress, see where you're at and how you got there and know that like they could do that too. Cause if they scroll through my feed and see me struggling on some fucking lick. And then a year later they see me like using that thing in a solo, that's progress that they could see. And that's like a way for them to go. Here's evidence of me seeing that work put in results in something awesome. Right. So Gary, Gary V was really big uh, for that particular thing, which was just like 
reveal the ugly, show the dirty, show the process. Like that's, that's what people want to see, you know? Yeah. And I was this, this was in a world of seeing everyone put out like the perfect fucking filtered photo of the meal they ate in that day. And I'm like, here's a really ugly picture of the thing that I cooked. It's delicious. you like, it's, I want to be fucking real. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Well, I was talking about that the other day, did a bacon spit about how like you see these bands or influencers, want to be influencers, never real influencers. It's like these like <laughs> super done up graphics. And it's like, nobody. Yes. I saw that video. Like, I don't fucking know. Like everyone who looks at me, like I always joke that like of the like music influencers on TikTok and stuff, I'm like the one who's watched a kid smoke crack in a basement <laughs> or been that kid. Uh, <laughs> right. right. 100%. You know what I mean? And I think that that's like an important part of my brand is like, oh, like, you know, like this is someone yeah. who knows about dirt weed as a, you know, yeah. but like, yeah. it's like super, like, I don't even know who that's for when you have these super polished designs, especially when you're trying to like market to like DIY people. Cause like you could even say metal people, but I feel like a lot of these hip hop kids I'm connected to have essentially the same mindset as like a metal dude. Uh, you know, and are looking for like gritty, whatever. And it's just like, so why wouldn't that just be everything you do is just lean into the grit, you know, and lean into the, the, like, we can't have a society where everyone's like, oh, I just want stuff that's real, man. And then immediately crank out like super nice, nice graphics that don't. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, I know this is like a super loaded word to say, but it's like really comes down to true authenticity yeah i think like the second you like lean into your authentic self you grow into your higher self and that's what people start to like recognize and the the appeal and the attraction is to that it's to like you being your fucking true self unapologetically i think that's like and that that's the thing that shows everyone else like fuck dude i should do that i should go tell my dad to fuck off i'm gonna be a musician like whatever whatever it needs to be like that's what the takeaway is from those things being your unapologetic self putting in the work and showing that you can make something of it uh, is not the takeaway I get from seeing that really, really, really like beautifully photoshopped image of you with like milk squirting off your ass, like Kim Kardashian. You know what I mean? Like that says nothing to me except you have a huge ass. <laughs> yeah. No. Which is cool. Which is, I like big asses. That's fine. <laughs> That's going to be our full quote. <laughs> Yeah, I like big asses. Dot dot dot. Dan Sugarman. <laughs> there we go. We'll get in blabbermouth tomorrow. Game over. Ice Nine Kills will be the ass band. <laughs> ass Nine Kills. There we go. Oh my god. How do you not have a bikini that says that? I would probably get in trouble if you knew how many names that we fucking throw around with each other and talk about putting on stupid merch. Like we have so many not kosher names. <laughs> oh no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Ass nine um, kills would be a very good booty short though, that you're not, you're not wrong. That's what I'm saying is I just think like, cause like Mastodon did the Mastodon uh, booty shorts a few years ago. Yeah. That's a good one. Ass nine kills. I'll send that one up the chain. See if it, see if it gets heard. <laughs> get Mike on the line. <laughs> yeah, dude. Love that guy. Um, <laughs> He'd be down. I'm sure. Okay, so, yeah. so let's circle back to this. So it's authenticity, right? And it's 
it's tricky, especially with a band like Ice Nine Kills, where they're sort of a machine behind it, if you will. How do you, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's, you know, this whole team, yada, yada, yada. Everyone wants you to succeed, but it's a lot. How do you continue to broadcast authenticity when you have this many moving parts and like stuff you're working on today probably won't see the light of day for another year or two? We are really, really fucking lucky, dude. The team that we have behind us are such awesome, supportive fucking people that they're down for these kinds of ventures, right? Like they, they want me to be doing like teach a lesson in guitar world magazine. Like they, they want this kind of stuff. Um, as far as me being my super authentic self, like that's sort of on me on my own time. You know what I mean? Like when it's ice nine kills hour, when we're like on tour, you know, like that's when we're, we're the full blown professional dudes there to be the part, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, we're, we're, we're allowed to be human, you know, and that's, that's a really, really, really special thing that we have because it is a really well-oiled machine. And there are a lot of moving parts, as you said, but there is still room for us to be ourselves. And I think that's like such a fucking blessing. How did you, cause you know, I Stand kills is interesting because you really slugged it out for quite a few years there with very limited success for a long time, if we're being frank. Yeah. Um, how did you build a team that took you to the next level? Dude, I joined the band two and a half, two and a half years ago. So I joined the band after Silver Scream came out before it was toured on and the team was in place. It was the, it was the work afterwards that was put in that like solidified the incredible team that we had solidified the, the team that we had was like this, you know, this is the record and we went and go put in the touring time. And just like the machine just kept putting us back out there. And it just has, it's been growing ever since. Um, but there was a lot of, and this is, you know, absolutely Dan Sugarman speaking about the band nine kills as a fan before I was in the band. Um, they had years and years of putting out records that just didn't land on the audience that they were aiming for. And the songs were there. Uh, but then the second that the band decided to lean more heavily into the horror thing, the audience was there and it just worked so freaking well. Like, the execution, pardon my absolute terrible murder pun, the execution of that was on point. And I think that the uh, the audience was right for that kind of thing exactly when it happened. And the band was in the right place, right time, right people. And it just fucking blew. And it's been an awesome ride to be a part of, man. So how did you put yourself in a position to kind of get that gig? Okay. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh I used to be in a band called As Blood Runs Black. Did you ever hear that about, about that I remember band? As Blood Runs Black. I was really obsessed with you in like 2012. Yeah, so I was I was in that band from like 2008, 2009 until like 2016. That's super that's amazing. Yeah, so that was that was like my shit for the longest time. Um and at that time and again this is like it's weird to say these things but I could look back at this and and Stan, you could probably agree. I would say as Blood Runs Black was one of the legacy deathcore metalcore acts at that time. Yeah. It was it was one of just like the household names. Um, and we were put in a situation where just like we had bad business dealings and like we would we would partner with people that didn't really have our best interest in mind and things like that that just kept like taking us off 
that pedestal that the audience was, was viewing us at. Um, and inside of being in that band, I had the pleasure of touring with some of the sickest fucking people ever. Some of the most awesome bands, some of the most awesome people ever. Mm-hmm. And me being a professional and fucking working my ass off on tour. Uh, I guess my name came up because like I, I proved myself a long, long time ago. So Ricky, the guitar player currently of Ice Nine Kills, used to be in a band called This or the Apocalypse. Do you remember that band? I remember that band. I was very deep into deathcore. I was, yeah. There was a lot of poopy hair. Um, There was a lot of poopy hair in 2012. I'm just going to ask you this because it's just such a, do you remember my old, old band called Fallen Figure? Did that ever ring a bell? You you know that name. Whoa, that's sick. Okay, so that was was my like high school band. That was my baby. Um, uh, Can we just take a minute minute to appreciate like, how bizarre it was that like between 2006 and 2011 your like high school deathcore band could become like a national touring act who would like get featured on mtv yeah it was insane dude absolutely wild and then then it became such a legitimized thing yeah that's what i'm saying it's like yeah like i think we forget that like attack attack were like 16 that was the band for the longest time, dude. Like it's it's just bizarre to think about um, how true, that it really is man. like just got so much bizarre traction. And I mean, even looking at where it's at now, dude. Like I look at the hip hop culture pulling on these things, like trap metal and all these yeah. things. And I mean, obviously, it's not super direct connected, but like if you liked metal, you were probably from punk. And if you didn't go from punk to metal, you went from punk to pop punk. So now to see that like pop punk is also this like legitimized heavy mainstream thing along with like, it's just, it's just wild, dude. I don't, I don't know, man. I think what happened was when we were kids, culturally, we were seeing, seeing and saying some really real shit. And I think that like the history from then until now, like the masses finally picked up on the shit that we were trying to say and expressing artistically. And I think maybe that's what they're speaking to and connecting with. Maybe. I don't know. It's a weird thing, dude. I think that's a part of it. I also think like it was the first time that the high school band could get like distribution. So someone in Europe could hear them without having a member who was like King shit tape trader. Do you think this had a lot to do with like, just like MySpace and Facebook and all that shit? Yeah. Like in my eyes, it's like, cause before that time it was never, unless you were like trading tapes with some dude in Norway, no one would ever hear your demo in Norway. Yeah. You know, like you had to be committed to, you know, whereas now it was like, oh, they're not even Norway, like two States over. Like if you're a Jersey band, no one in Ohio would ever hear of you until this happened. Dude. It's you so, know what I mean? so real, and then man. it was like, hey, now you can go listen to some band from Jersey, even if you're from Ohio. It's wild, dude. And even even like the internet thing itself, dude. I remember a very specific situation with my old band as Blood Runs Black, where I, I was a huge fan of his Blood Runs Black in like 2006 when Allegiance came out. That's when I was doing my band Fallen Figure. Um, around 2008 or so, I got like tapped on to join the band and did that whole thing. And then around 2011 or 12, and keep in mind, 2006 was MySpace popping hard. And then around yeah. 2012, we got this offer to go to Indonesia to play Jack Claw Festival. Yeah. And they were, they were telling us, like, you guys, 
you guys are the biggest band in Indonesia. Like, like you're headlining Jack Cloth Festival in front of 20,000 people. Um, and, and it's going to be nuts. And we're like, ha ha, what the fuck? Right. And we get there and we find out that MySpace and like the internet thing was like delayed. So they got our MySpace craze like six years later, which is just like absolutely insane. So like, I don't even, it's almost like comes packaged with the internet stuff. Yeah. And it's like a time, it's a time capsule, dude. Yeah. And then then it's like, you know, the first time you get mobbed at the airport and you're like, what the fuck is happening here? (laughs) Yeah. It was wild, dude. That was actually the first time we showed up and there was like people at the hotel to get shit signed. We were like, you're looking for someone else. This is weird. (laughs) This can't be right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's always like, I, I love just, you know, as the, marketing guy or whatever i love just being able to witness that do you know what i mean like i love just like getting to watch people get to that level and just be sitting there and be like oh hey that cute girl is gonna ask this balding dude metal guy for an autograph and he's gonna lose his mind hell yeah, yeah <laughs> and he's and, he, and he's gonna act cool about it but in his head he's going crazy <laughs> he's like this is supposed to happen yeah dude dude speaking did you i did you see that new Billie Eilish documentary? I just watched it the other day and it blew Not my yet. fucking head off. Oh my uh, God, dude. I I always had this like preconceived idea. I was like, okay, I heard her parents were a part of the industry and I just was like, she was a shoe in She no, was a complete she's a genius. Pre- pre- she's a fucking genius. Her and her brother wrote that shit in a tiny house in LA in their parents' like house, the whole entire record. Like she was like struggling with depression and like fucking has like Tourette's and has these like crazy things she deals with. And she exposes all of it in this fucking documentary and shows the progress of like her doing like a showcase show to her playing in front of like 30,000 screaming kids. It's just the most insane doc I've ever seen on like that success you're talking about. Yeah. Well, Super well, powerful, and, dude. and like with her, like the thing I just want to point out that I've talked about before on TikTok, because with her in particular, people get super butthurt because she's young and a woman. She's um, so good. But like the thing I've talked about with her is like, I know a lot of their, you know, daughters of very wealthy people who have tried to blow up because they try to hire me. You know what I mean? Which is fine. Like, I'm happy to help them if the music's good and they're like cool people, like whatever. But like the vast majority of them don't blow up. The vast majority of them don't go anywhere. The vast majority of them, nothing fucking happens. Do you, do you remember when Hulk Hogan tried to push his daughter for a little bit? Yeah, like that's what I'm saying, right? Is it's like <laughs> for most of these people, you know, it's it just it doesn't is. like look at fucking, and even if it's in the exact same thing, because a lot of times it's like, oh, this parent is like a business person or Hulk Hogan is trying to push his daughter, but none of his fans are really going to care about his daughter. But even like with that band with like the kids of all the rock stars with like Robert Trujillo's kid and like, Got Wiley's oh, yeah. kid, right? And like Slash's kid. Like that band isn't getting anywhere. You know, like they're getting I every mean, opportunity in the world. Because people are friends with their dads, but like no one is like, you know, and, and they're like an okay band, you know, like it's not like they're completely entitled jack offs. Like the Robert Trujillo's kid, like subs for fucking corn. Like kid can, kid, can, kid can play. You know what I Sick. mean? Yeah, but it's like where that's not that can't you know 
like, is it just really come down to as simple as like you have to forge your own path for there to be like long longevity in it yeah you know, you know same with taylor swift like her parents yeah. are super fucking rich but like a ton of other people try to do that same shit and she's just so you know did did she so she was i don't want to say like an industry shoe in but her parents made that happen or they just supported it financially they supported it financially pretty dramatically but she was writing the songs and getting like the the natural youtube appeal and all that success that came early for her right that wasn't fabricated from what i understand yeah but also like i don't think you could really get to that level of pop stardom right you know like say like miley cyrus is like the epitome of industry shoe in yeah is like weirdly respected yeah yeah i just you found know? out today that her her godmother is dolly parton did you know that i knew that that's that's wild I yeah know. it's just in, it's in the blood it's, it's in the blood man and yeah but being you as know. successful as she is had to had to be a fucking pre-made decision that they just had to like have the family but, back and put the work into yeah but what i'm saying is like there's a million other fucking one hit wonders from the nineties, bigger than Billy Ray Cyrus who have mm-hmm. kids who have tried to be pop musicians who never went like fucking if Lennon Claypool can't do shit. Like, right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. It's, it's, it's definitely freaking interesting. And like, I, that, that Billy Eilish thing, if anyone's listening, that shit was so fucking inspiring to me. Um, and anyone who's like listening to this and being like, Oh, I want to be a person who's like eventually signing things like, dude, just put in the work like everyone else did who gets to that place. And one day you'll look up and it won't happen. But if that becomes your like focus, not only is that a really strange, small focus, but it's also not going to really like lead to too much uh, work that's backed by product. You know what I mean? Well, this is, so this is one of the last things I wanted to get into with you is like, one of the things I find frustrating about music, because I think you and I are both music nerds more than anything. Yeah. And one of the things that really frustrates me is <clears throat> is like, I feel like a lot of people are using music as a vehicle to get attention and not as a vehicle for music. Yes. Even even beyond that, not to not to be a schmuck, but like music for music isn't even what it is. You make music because you have to say something and then it just becomes a song. Right. In, in, in a yeah. strange way, it's like if you have nothing valuable to say, then like you're just making a song to make a song. And then I don't give a fuck at all, let alone making a song to gain this or get those YouTube views or like draw someone into your your three day ebook course or some shit, you know? yeah and like this is the thing right is it's like i just think people need to invest and examine why they do things yes you know and i just i just get pretty frustrated anyway i just wanted your thoughts on that because it just seems silly it's it's super 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 real to me man and i i said before i went through some heavy shit and didn't really know if i'd get into it but this is like sort of what it is um I left as Blood Runs Black because my mom got diagnosed with brain cancer for the third time and her tumor was so bad that we got like we got like an expiration date and shit. So I I left that band 
to go be her caregiver. I stopped touring the world, my like, like my dream to go take care of my mom and be with her for the last as many, you know, moments as we could have together. Yeah. Um, and about three days after leaving the band, I had this outpouring of music. I literally wrote a record in six days. I wrote, no, I wrote seven tracks, six tracks in seven days. I'm sorry, my brain is shit right now. Um, it's a it's a record I did called Center Sun. And it was purely born from necessity, not because I was like, oh, my label's asking for me to turn in a track. Oh, I got to do. It was literally, I was going through so much traumatic processing shit that I needed to journal a song every day to get through this thing. And like that record became quite literally a journal. Like if you listen to it, you could hear like my anger, rejection of it. And then slowly until it gets to the end, there's like peace and serenity. In the middle, there's a little bit of like confusion and chaos and anger again surrounded by more beauty which was me kind of coming to an understanding basically like the second i started my solo career which is what's kept me in the game which is what made me relevant for guitar lessons which is like what i'm focusing on heavily now on top of being in a band wouldn't have happened if i didn't have that absolute dying need let me go stop my dog we just had a delivery hold on one sec yeah dying need i'm gonna remember this hold on hey you turned Oh shit! Headphones one-handed. That's tough. Good for All you. Right. Dying, um, dying need. Hey, shit face. Um. Yeah. So I, I, I like had this dying need to express myself through all of this stuff musically. I need to fix my headphones, dude. This is bad. Hold on. <laughs> um. Opus is just taking the podcast now, dude. She's <laughs> never not fuck. Opus, I love you so much. Please. <laughs> No. <laughs> All right, good girl. Come on. Good girl. All right. Bring me back to my thoughts. I don't know what I was just saying. Sorry, dude. No, dying need. Saying, yeah, dying need outpouring of emotion. Uh yeah. So like I, I had to write this record. It wasn't like I left the band. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go make a solo album. I literally like needed to. I had a fucking leak. I needed to like catch that shit in the bucket or else I'd drown. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the the bucket, the bucket was simply my da and the water leaking was just the emotion that I didn't have words for. So I turned it into music. So like for me, that was the beginning of me truly understanding what art means to me and how music actually is art. Music isn't music. Music isn't t-shirts to wear to look cool. Music isn't a part of the culture. Music is art. Art is an emotion that one went through. And that emotion is so fucking real and human that that's what people are connecting to when they hear your song. And that's why I was saying before, like people connect to the energy, like, yeah, that song's tight. Oh, that's that riff is fat. Dude. Those songs aren't the things that make you like household name. It's not going to make music last. You're going to be a trend. You know, you're going to, you're going to be in the, the for you page on TikTok. You're not going to be TikTok. You know, what I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Got to relate this back to TikTok, right? Somehow. <laughs> every day. Every, every day I'm every TikToking. Day. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, like, for me, basically, like, that that went from me, like, oh, shit, we have to write a new record. Oh, man, they want to buy this deadline to, like, I, if I didn't write a record, I would have killed myself. I know that sounds really fucked up to say, but I would have for sure. Uh, because I get it. I, I needed to say that shit, man. And that's what it continues to be for me. I don't write music for any other reason than I need to. Like when I was saying I'm working on some stuff right now, I'm worth jumping on the call later. Like that song, actually the song I'm jumping on particularly 
uh, I wrote on a webinar, a live webinar with music mentors online. Have you heard of them? Yeah. So I did this, this webinar with them over a three-day course. We had like over 100 kids tune in to watch me write a song from scratch. And the whole purpose of it was for me to say, you don't need to have a goddamn idea to sit down and write a song. All you need to do is live your day and write about your day. So that entire song and process was me showing how I will take what I went through so far in my day, turn that into like a journal process, and then turn those words into like descriptive musical adjectives. And then those become my sections of my song. And then I turn it into a song. So those three days were me being watched by like hundred plus people trying to write a fucking song and then ending on something that I'm really, really proud of. But it was me emoting, me digging into myself, me using the journal process, me capturing really live raw takes because that's what matters. It's not about the perfect take. It's about capturing what I said with my fingers, the way I said it. Um, it goes on and on and on. But like even that song was me teaching how I use the process of feeling and then turning that into music. And you could look at that and go like, oh, that's really mechanical. And you're making it now into like a procedure and shit. But if you zoom out, dude, I was like, talked about my anxiety of going into the fucking music mentors thing that day. My dog got really fucking sick that morning. And I was super afraid because like, I got my dog the day my mom died. So like, I transferred my love to her. Mm-hmm. So like, the, when, when my dog is sick, that like fucks me in my core. Sure. Right. So like, there's all these like things that happened in that day. And that's what I wrote about in that song. And although it was in front of people in front of an audience, it doesn't remove its realness. It doesn't remove the personability I, or the like, I agree. you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm fucking here for. And that's what music is to me. And I feel like uh, the second that artists lose that, they just become musicians yeah. or they just become practitioners of their instrument instead of artists. And I'm like, I've been a practitioner of my instrument for too fucking long, dude, for too long. And I'm, I want to use that skill set and that like woodshedding time that I put into that to like really develop my artistry and really make this like long-term creative output for my life. You know what I mean? And it's, it's yeah. in capturing the attention of people who want to hear that, who need to hear that. And that's, that's who I'm writing for, man. I'm not writing for the masses. I'm not making music for anyone but myself. And the people who go through things similar to me will be drawn to it. And those will eventually be my fucking homies, you know? <laughs> yeah. I agree. I don't even know what th- this was based off of me saying something along the lines of like, I went through some heavy shit. Uh, this is what I went through. But why did I say that? I'm totally forgetting. What that was I don't about. know. I, I was going to say, I feel like there has been a lot of ground covered on this podcast though. Yeah, I mean, I'm a tangential piece of shit, so I think we're good. No, it was fun. I appreciate you taking the time. Dude, I mean, there's a million more things we could get into, man. But at the end of the day, it's it's about authenticity, digging totally. into yourself and saying saying what really fucking matters to you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just, just to fucking wrap here, because I know this is your shit, that was an idea that I had to use my TikTok to just, like, talk about my backstory. Yeah. to like share these moments that I had about like the first time I played a show and I almost quit until my dad basically told me not to be a pussy yeah. and like, you'll never know, you'll never know unless you try kind of thing. And then just like those, those types of things using my platform to be super fuck real. Um, that's what I'm here for dudes. And do debts. Oh, and yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Dan. We'll talk soon. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Brother. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. 
Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.